Please stand for the reading of the word from John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Good morning, Highland. It's really good to see you here. Uh, my name is Shane Hughes. I am one of the ministers here. And whether you're with us here at the auditorium or you're with us online, uh, it's good to have you here. Uh, we're going through a series, and last week we talked about obedience. Uh, baptism is the first step of our gospel lives. Uh, and this week I want to talk about Jesus, namely that Jesus isn't just good news. Jesus is the best news. I don't know if you've ever had that before, like the best possible news that you could hear. Maybe the best possible news was from the doctor that said, the cancer is gone. It was the best news you could possibly hear in that situation. Or, or you got the call and they said, not only do we want to offer you the job, but it's, we're going to pay you more than you thought. It's the best news you could probably get. But most of us in our lives, we experience kind of a mixed bag. We have good news and bad news at the same time. Like, for instance, the bad news is I can't tell you how my double thumb amputation went, but the good news is it went well. It's a slow burn. You'll get there. And sometimes it's just the same sentence. It's just the same thing. But I got my, for instance, you could say my blind girlfriend told me she was seeing someone else. Good news, bad news all at once. Uh, if you were here in Abilene at all, I'm sure you heard about the Calf Festival this weekend. Uh, that was particularly designed for people just like my wife and I, who have a child that's five, three, and eight months. Um, and it was, it was designed for us. It was amazing. It was our first time to do it since the pandemic kind of stalled out the last one. And uh, we, we went to all of the readings that we could and all of the shows that we could. By the way, there are two types of people that go to the calf festival. There's somebody that wants to get every single one of those buttons on their lanyard, and there's the rest of us who just kind of want to do it for the morning and then take a nap. Both of those people exist in my family. You can guess which one I am. Uh, anyway, so we were there, and, and there was this, this show. It was like a, a magic show by, by this uh, character called Professor QB. He was kind of dressed as a pirate, which was impressive because it was like 100 degrees out there. And he's, he's doing his shtick, and I'm watching him. And it's really hard to do children's comedy because you have to be funny on a three-year-old level and then occasionally funny on an adult level, but you also have to crowd control a bunch of kids, inviting just like one of them up onto stage instead of all of them up onto stage. You have to keep it going. And Professor QB did an amazing job. And so I'm sitting back and I'm watching this. And anytime that I want to ruin a comedy show, I just slip into analysis mode. And I think to myself, how's he doing this? And I realize what Professor QB is doing, which he is, he is being dosing frustration. 
right? He's just giving you small doses of frustration. Like he starts off by saying, let's have all the boys cheer. Then the boys all yell. Let's have all the girls cheer. And the girls all yell. And he says, well, I'm not sure which one was louder. Let's do this again. And then they both do it again. And then he says, I can't hear you. And I imagine in my five-year-old's head, he's thinking, I am screaming as loud as I possibly can. It's dosing frustration. He had this bit that was hilarious. It was with this flower. And the flower would wilt or the flower would stand up straight. And whenever he looked at the flower, it was standing up straight. But when he looked away, it wilted. And all the, all the kids were screaming, oh, it fell down. And he said, what are you talking about? My flower's great. See, it's just great. It's perfect. I don't know what you guys are talking about. It was dosing this frustration, this irritation. And he just let it go and go and go for like 22 minutes. And I thought to myself in my analysis, I bet I could do that. And so I said to a friend of mine, I'm watching this guy, and I figured this out. He's just slowly frustrating his audience. And it's, and it's amazing when he gives those little ounces of relief, those little moments of catharsis. I bet I could learn to preach like that. I mean, it might take me a little while to learn how to frustrate my audience slowly, 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 and then just a glimmer of catharsis. I bet if I worked really hard, I could learn how to do that. And my friend said, I don't think you would really have to work that hard to do that. And I'm not sure what he meant, but what we're going to do today, we're in John chapter 14, 1 through 7. If you want to turn your Bible or your uh, telephone app there, that would be great. Uh, But what we're going to do today, probably for the first time since I've been here, and it may be the last time, we're going to do a three-point sermon with fill in the blank. All right, so if you're ready, you can just kind of get out your pen and write in the side of your Bible. And three points, that's all we're going to do today. They all begin with the letter T. Now, you have to follow me. Are you following me? Because if you're not following me, you won't know what I'm doing. They all start with the letter T. All right, first off, Jesus is, Jesus is the way. All right, so what Jesus is claiming here, I mean, his disciples have said, he's like, look, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. In my father's house, there are many rooms. If it weren't that way, I would have told you otherwise. I'm going to go and do that, and then I'm coming back. And then I'm going to take you there. And Thomas says, we don't know how to get there. We don't know how to follow where you're going. Even though he just said, I'm going to come back and show you how to do this. But Thomas doesn't get it. Now, John as a whole is like a seedbed of mystics and heretics. Like they both come out of John. Because Jesus' words in John are confusing. They kind of loop around. They wrap back on themselves. It's not always clear what Jesus is saying. So I don't blame Thomas. He doesn't quite get it right at the start. And then Jesus replies. Thomas says, I don't know where you're going. And we don't know how to get there. And Jesus says, I am the way. And there's probably a connection there to the the, the Qumran community, the Essenes, and John the Baptist. In fact, some scholars believe that Jesus' family, at least, uh, was an Essene, part of the Essene community, which they kind of rejected the society around them, the culture around them, and went off to live in the desert because that's the only way that they could find God. Because a lot of what he says sounds a lot like that Essene community. Remember that that the Baptist, John the Baptist's mission was to prepare the way for Jesus. So you want to know how to get there? It's Jesus. And I got to be honest with you, this is so much more than a once and done poor baptism theology. It's not just you get wet, you meet Christ in the water, and then you're good to go. This is life. Right? The point of the way is to show you how to know God. Why did Jesus come to earth? There's a lot of different answers to that question. 
Some might say to show us how to live. Others might say to die for our sins. But Jesus would say, at least in the book of John, so that you might know the Father. That is Jesus' goal in John. That may be his only goal. It's so for you to have an intimate relationship with the Father. And any form of Christianity does not put your relationship with God as the most important thing in your life is missing something key. So much so that I would argue what they're preaching, their gospel, is not the way or the truth. There was a scholar named uh, Prothero who wrote this book said God, that said the title was God is Not One. And basically what he was doing was he was trying to challenge the idea that every religion kind of ends up in the same place. You could think of a religion, if you think of a religion as a way, it's a path, it's a trail, it's going to take you somewhere. And an atheist would say, well, all religions are the same and they're all bad. A syncretist would say, all religions are the same and they're all good. And what Prothero wants to argue is that that's not the case. If you want to take the Jesus way, it's going to lead you to the Jesus, the God mountain, the Christian mountain, and it's going to take you there. But if you want to, if you want to take a different path, it's not going to take you to the God mountain. It's going to take you somewhere else. Not all religions lead to the same place. They don't go up the same mountain. They're different paths to different ways. And so the reality is it's a mixed bag. Religions are different because they're asking different questions, which lead them to different answers. The question of Judaism is, what do I do with exile? What do I do with a God that sends me away and then brings me back out of love? The question of Islam is the question of, what do I do with pride? Do you think that you can live in a self-sufficient way? But what you really need is to submit to God. The path of Buddhism is, is a question about suffering. How do I avoid suffering by emptying myself of attachments to the world? And Prothero would argue that the Christian question is what do we do with sin? And I would argue that Jesus is not just a way. Jesus is the only way to answer that question. Now, you might want to answer another question, which is fine. You might choose to chase another hill. But you cannot get to God the Father unless you choose to follow the Son. Number two, if you're marking in your Bible, Jesus is blank truth. You can fill this one in. It's not very complicated. Jesus is the truth. You guys are doing amazing, two for two. I'm sure you're really killing it right now. And what I want to say there is Jesus is not a truth. Jesus is the truth. Now, I have no problem at all for someone that says, hey, I'm just living my truth. All right? If they're being authentic in what they're doing, I have no problem at all. God bless them as they go. And this is why, because I am confident in the power and the mercy of God. I am confident that God loves that person so much that God is going to reveal himself in one way or another to them. And, this, and if, if they're being authentic about themselves... The reality is that truth is not possible apart from God. But we have a very wide experience. That some of us have lived in different cultures and in different places and different times. And we've had different experiences growing up, different things that have formed us. And so our truths sound differently. But the beauty of the gospel is that our God is big enough to capture all of those stories in the truth. 
as he brings them closer to the God's self. This is why I'm confident. Did you know, um, this is how much of a nerd I am, I, I, I studied the linguistic history of the color blue. Maybe you've heard this story before. When Homer is writing about the ocean in, in, in the ancient Greek literature, when Homer is writing about it, the way he describes the ocean is by calling it the wine-dark sea. He calls it the wine-dark sea. And he doesn't do that necessarily because he's trying to be poetic, although it is kind of epic poetry. He's doing it because he doesn't have, in the Greek language at that time, a word for the color blue. And, and linguistic historians have researched this, and they found out for the Egyptians and the Sumerians and the Greeks, blue is the last color to enter into the lexicon for whatever reason. And so this linguistic historian that I was reading said, you know, what any linguistic historian would do, he decided to experiment with his kids. And so he raises one of his children, and I guess he just ripped the page out of the color book that explained the color blue. So they learned red, orange, yellow, green, but just never blue until they were fully able to think and talk, like two and a half, three years old. And then one day, he looks up at the sky, and he says, what color is that? And the child kind of looks up at the sky, and he says, it's kind of like they never really even looked at it before, that that color was just background noise in the universe. And they say, gray-ish? Until the mind can gain the concept of what the word blue is in reality, it can't, it can't imagine what that is. It's as if the sky is just this background radiation noise. But this is what God does. God gives in everyone who is trying to live out their truth, if they're doing it authentically, if they're doing it honestly, gives them the color blue. And that leads them on a journey that leads them to the Father. Because not all of us have the language to describe our experience when we encounter the transcendent. And so the, the stickiness of this matter, let's be honest, the stickiness of this matter is, is when a truth sounds like Jesus, but it's not really Jesus. It's actually idolatry. It sounds like justice. It looks like love or mercy, but it's really just selfishness. And that's, that's where this, this problem of truth really gets sticky because it looks a lot like what God intends, but it's actually nothing of the sort. In fact, it's dangerous because it's so close to the other one. And, and uh, this weekend, Lauren Long was the um, illustrator, author that was honored at, at the CAF Festival. And if you have a chance, you can go to the NICL, which stands for um, the National Something of Children's Literature, and... Uh, and, and you can go, and, and they have put, they have framed his work and set it on the wall like a gallery. And when you walk through it and experiencing it that way, it's very different than reading that story at bedtime to, your, to a grandchild or a, ch a child. You really see the experience of the art of it. I had the opportunity to be in one of the rooms where he's telling a story. And, and many people don't know this, but Lauren Long was born colorblind. But as he's, he's telling the story, as he's growing up, he, he wasn't really good at math, and so he knew he wasn't going to be an engineer. He wasn't really that athletic because he was small and skinny. He knew he wasn't going to be uh, an athlete or anything like that, but he knew what he loved to do was draw. And in an art class, his teacher said, oh, man, you've got talent. 
you need to pursue that. But one day, he couldn't read the board very well, and so his, 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 his mom took him to an optometrist, and they did the whole put on the big thing, A, B, A, B, A, B. And then the optometrist comes out to speak to his mother. He's just kind of standing there as a bystander because he's too long, young to be uh, spoken to directly. And the optometrist says, well, you know, uh, Lauren is a little bit nearsighted, but we're going to get glasses to correct that. That's no big deal. But he is also colorblind. And his mom says, okay, well, what does that mean? He says, well, he has, he has trouble discerning greens and browns, but it's not going to be a very big difference. You know, a lot of people can't distinguish clearly oranges and reds. It's very common. But it just means that he shouldn't do certain jobs. Like, he shouldn't be an electrician if he can't see the greens and reds. He shouldn't be a dermatologist if he can't really see the, the colors really clearly because that, that's important to that job. So he shouldn't take either of those two jobs, and he probably also shouldn't be an artist. And Lauren walks out with his mom to the car, and he is, feels devastated. He feels crushed and destroyed. That the one thing that he was good at, the one thing that he really loved, is something that he shouldn't do. And so he sits down in the car next to his mom, and he begins to cry. And his mom looks over at him, and he says, what? What's wrong? I don't understand. And he said, well, the optometrist said I, I shouldn't be an artist. And as Lauren is telling the story, you can feel the entire room just settle and zoom into this moment. This was a moment of, of gospel. This was, a, this was a Jesus moment. And he said his mom grabbed his knee firmly and looked him in the eye and said, that man has no right to tell you what you can or can't be. You can be an artist if you want to. And that truth, that moment changed Lauren's life. Now, he's got to be careful. Like, he's got to keep his greens on one side of the palette and the browns on the other because it's not always clear for him. And he makes one of his kids or his wife, like, look at the page before he sends it out to make sure he's not just totally off. I think that's what Jesus says when he says, I am the truth. Because this world is going to tell you that you're worthless. This world is going to tell you that you can't. This world is going to tell you that you're not lovable, that you're not worthy of someone else's respect. This world is going to tell you that you're not really good enough for anything or anyone in anywhere. But Jesus is the truth, and he looks you in the eye, and he says, this world does not get to tell you what you can and cannot do. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. If you're following along at home, we're getting to point number three. Jesus is blank life. Three T's. Any guesses? The. Right. And, and this is the point that we kind of touched on at the beginning, that heaven is not the point of your walk with Jesus. It is the destination, but it's not the point. If you think that heaven is all this is, that Christianity is some sort, sort of like reservation to secure your seat, you have missed more than half of it. Now, it is true, I, I'm fully believing with John, I am on that boat, that Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way if you want to get and know and love God the Father. And that exclusivist claim, man, people don't like those. That makes people anxious because they kind of want to just live their life and you live your life. And as long as you have your truth and they have their truth, that's great. Just as long, you just don't start pushing into my neighborhood, right? Don't step into my yard. And when you make an exclusivist claim, you're going to say something about their life. But here is why the Christians make this exclusive claim. It's because Jesus was a person. 
Jesus was not an idea. Jesus was not a philosophy. Jesus was not a set of rules that you had to follow. Jesus is a person. And personal knowing means you give up control. Right? Like you begin your life and you have every door wide open. You have a million choices that you can make. But you choose what college you want to go to. And when you choose one college, it kind of means that a bunch of other doors shut up tight. They lock themselves because you chose one thing instead of something else. And then maybe you choose to date someone and you get married. And when you get married to that person, because you've made that choice, a bunch of other doors seal themselves off and you shut up tight. And then you choose to have a job. And because you chose that job and you didn't choose every job, a bunch of other doors shut up tight. You see what I'm saying? The more choices you make in your life, the more commitments that you make to other persons, the less options you have. You give up freedom for the sake of commitment. And once you've made a bunch of those choices, you realize the truth. You can't just go wherever you want. You can't just do whatever you want. There is a sense of loss of freedom in the decisions that you make. But those of us that have lived here for a while realize that in those closing doors, it leads to something more. And so when you choose to love Jesus, when you choose to love a person, you choose to give up some of your control. And that's why we make the exclusivist claim. When something becomes your life, it takes up all the available space and time. Man, I got a five-year-old and a three-year-old and an eight-month-old. I do not have a lot of free time right now. And sometimes that's, like, not fun, right? Uh, I see, right? You're with me. All right. Thank you. Amen. <laughs> um, and it'll get better, right? Because I, I see all of you that have, like, graduated all your kids. They're at college. You have no money, but you have tons of time. <laughs> and then I see those of you that are a little further on. Yeah, I get it. Won't be there forever. But because I chose persons... I gave up control. And in John, the point of Jesus is so that we might have a relationship with the Father. And so Jesus isn't just good news. Jesus is the best news for your life. Following Jesus is the best way because Jesus reveals ultimate truth. The best way that Jesus dealt with people, the best way that Jesus spoke truth and revealed the wisdom of God to people, the best way that Jesus lived and died in his community. Jesus is the best news for the world. Now, terrible news spreads fast, right? And a lie will be halfway around the world before truth has had a chance to get its pants on. But, the, but who we are is the people that get to share the best news. We carry the best news, and it's slow. It's slow as all get out because you have to carry it in your hands. There's no other way that you can carry the gospel than to hold it. And I'm not saying that the gospel is fragile. This isn't like some ember that's in a flame that you've got to protect somehow. The gospel is strong. It's not brittle. The gospel is a diamond. But the only way that you can share it is if you're close enough to another person to hand it to them. And you carry the best news of all. 
We're going to deal a little bit more with that, that next week. But can you, can you stand uh, for our benediction, please? In your heart, God has placed divine spirit, Holy Spirit. And whether you're aware of it or not, whether you want it or not, whether you're ready for it or not, it travels with you every day. You carry inside of you the best news. It's how Jesus loved others. It's how he was smart. It's how his life was beautiful. So this week, wherever you go, wherever you end up, whatever you do, carry that best news with you. May you have courage and may you experience God's joy. Go in peace.